This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Podcast. Jeremy Warner, Alana Inquirer publisher here with you. And I got a few things I want to hit on on the podcast today, including some news in the Big Ten that we got to break down, as well as an interview with Jane Deleuze, the CEO of Visit Champaign County, talking to her about just the economic impact of not having football games this fall on the community and local businesses. So we'll get into that with Jane Deleuze here coming up. And she was a part of the, the great story that Pat Forty from Sports Illustrated put together. Uh, but there were a couple bits of news that I wanted to get to, and including the latest drama in the Big Ten. But I, I do want to get to some news that maybe goes under the radar for some people, but it is concerning because we've seen Iowa already cut programs, including men's gymnastics and men's tennis. And Minnesota announced on Thursday that they are cutting four sports programs and eliminating them from their athletics department. That includes men's indoor track and field, men's outdoor track and field, men's gymnastics, and men's tennis programs. All four will be eliminated after the 2020-21 competitive season. So you think of that, that is a lot of athletes, a lot of opportunities that are taken away, all because COVID-19 has obviously impacted so much financially, and it's just a, a very thin margins for athletic departments. So while we see all this revenue that these athletic departments bring in, they also spend a lot of money, and most of that money is spent with these football programs here at Illinois. We've seen how much it costs to build that um, great new facility and what the arms race costs for all these programs, but it's also put a lot of money, a lot of debt on these programs. Minnesota has put together that Athletes Village here, but uh, it is very expensive to run those programs. You've seen programs like Ohio State. I think they brought in uh, $220 million, but they spent more than that. Um, in, in the last one I saw from USA Today. So it's put a lot of pressure on these athletic departments, their budgets, and, and we've seen other programs like Wisconsin decide to cut employees, furlough employees, so they don't cut these opportunities and end these sports for a long time, possibly forever, uh, and, and end historic programs um, that 30, 40 years ago we wouldn't even think of cutting. Uh, you've seen a lot of sports get cut because of the strain on budgets that even though football and basketball bring in, they are also are very expensive programs to upkeep. And losing that revenue right now uh, puts stress on all those other sports. And I, I caught up with Justin Spring, the Illini men's gymnastics coach, and obviously an Olympic great, a great here at Illinois. And uh, he's the last coach to lead an Illinois program to a national championship back in 2012 is the wide I mentioned Nesk's program, which is one of the most historic programs and successful programs here at Illinois. And, and I caught up with him and man, he was brutally honest with me. He had, he's very candid with me about how he felt about his sport because men's gymnastics has been a dying sport for a long time or a sport that is getting cut from a lot of programs. There are more than 200 men's gymnastics programs just decades ago. Now, with Minnesota and Iowa, two of the seven Big Ten men's gymnastics programs being cut, there are only 13 Division I programs left for men's college gymnastics. The sport is almost dead, uh, and Justin Spring thinks it could be on the verge of extinction here very shortly. So I want to give you a little bit of insight from Justin from the interview I had. I just did this interview on my phone and recorded it to my computer, so audio is not as great as what I'm talking to you now. Uh, but I, I think it's worth hearing now what a, a coach of this program who's developed so many athletes, has so many athletes who are a part of this program, 
what this means for them. And Justin, actually, before the news came down that they were canceling the season, he felt really good about his team. And they had a great meet uh, where they took down two great Big Ten programs. Uh, and uh, they were in Puerto Rico when the season got canceled. And they had to come home. Uh, when the spring season got canceled, they had to cut that trip short. They got no Big Ten championship meet. They got no NCAA championship meet. Uh, and I just chatted with him about where his sport is at and where, you know, a lot of these men's Olympic sports as well, because of Title IX, where they stand right now. Like, you know, I'm talking to other coaches. I'm close to the men's tennis coach, Brad. And he's like, did you have at least a good last meet? You know, because <laughs> like, you just know, you just don't know. Like, are we yeah. going to play this year? Like, I have no idea. Yeah. But I know that if we don't play January sports, if basketball doesn't happen, mm-hmm. this whole fun show and this fun rise is over for everyone. Yeah. Like, I just, we can't keep absorbing, like, these stadiums and these facilities are, are built to be used and filled with people. It's, it's just like restaurant. Like, mm-hmm. you can't have the space and not serve food. Like, it's got to go on to sustain the product that we have. And the product that's going to get cut is me. Yeah. It's men's tennis. It's men's... It's men's Olympic sports, and then and then who else? Or whoever else, you know, because the millions are just vaporizing as we yeah. speak. And when I caught up with Justin, it was right after Iowa had cut its men's gymnastics program, and I knew that that was one of just a couple handfuls of men's gymnastics programs left at the Division One level. And I asked Justin then what he thought of that, and, and you could tell that he just thought this could be the start of a cascade of where this is the end of men's gymnastics and his sport that he is so proud of. And, and so many opportunities, while there are opportunities for the elite of the elite at the high school level to get to College USA, Justin rose up through college. That's how he earned his shot uh, to get to the Olympic team. And I was just asking him, what are your emotions like right now? And he was very candid about it. Oh, God. <laughs> you know, someone actually worded this to me very well and I, it's, it's a little morbid and I, I kind of feel bad using the analogy or the metaphor but it's like it's kind of like having a, a parent with a you know a terminal disease or something and you're just like you're like preparing for it constantly you know like and so you're like you're just on edge you're kind of coming to grips with it um but it, when it happens, it's still going to be devastating, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's not, it doesn't matter how much you prepare. Like, like, so, like, I'm just like, here we go again. We're about to invest in everything we got to try to build up a championship team again. And we may just get a text from my administrator either one week or six months from now. In the, you know, and it's just, it's not going to, it's just going to be all for naught, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. so if I'm thinking that, so you know, you know, my guys are. And so it's just yeah. like, we got to be, if the opportunity presents itself, I don't believe in luck, right? Luck is opportunity meeting preparation. So yeah. it's like, should we get the opportunity to battle for a title again? We need to be prepared. And it's just, forget about the uncontrollables because it's just not up to us. Yeah. It doesn't make it any easier when that's looming over your head. But like, I know it's in the back of their minds. And so it's, you know, all the while just trying to do the best I can and be there yeah. for my guys when I literally can't be there, right? I mean, Justin said that Josh Whitman, the Illinois Athletic Director, has been very supportive of him. They've had very in-depth conversation about the future of the sport. And and Josh has told us in the media that it would be a last resort uh, to cut sports. Uh, that would be the last lever he would pull. But And that might depend on how many football games, basketball games can you get in here. But seeing Minnesota do it, seeing Iowa do it, um, two programs that obviously are similar schools to Illinois, that's, that's very concerning. And just wanted to put that on your radar and get a little insight there. Uh, from Justin Spring. And in the latest episode of As the Big Ten World Turns, yesterday we saw Ryan Day, the Ohio State coach, just kind of go rogue. And we've seen this a lot in the Big Ten. And as I tweeted out and retweeted Ryan Day's public really statements, and some people have called it a blowtorch to the Big Ten. I don't necessarily disagree with that. Um, I retweeted it with the quote, Kevin Warren needs to get his house in order. And it wasn't a swipe at Kevin Warren's decision. It's a swipe and criticism of just 
how Kevin Warren has not gotten everybody on the same page. And we'll dive into this a little bit, but just to whiteboard this for you, Penn State coach James Franklin, who's one of the most obviously well-known and successful coaches in the Big Ten, said during an interview on ESPN Radio yesterday, I think a big part of leadership is to be able to deliver answers to people's questions and also to be able to drive people towards a vision and drive people towards a plan. Right now, we don't have those things. So basically saying we don't have a plan, we don't have a vision, which it certainly seems to be the case. And while you can say in a pandemic, um, you really can't have plans. We'll see how the ACC, Big 12, and SEC plans start up. And and for some of those leagues, it starts up this weekend. But Ryan Day, uh, in his statement, is certainly putting pressure on the Big Ten. And this is the most really powerful coach in the Big Ten. Even though Ryan Day is just a year into the job, and most people didn't know a lot about him before Urban Meyer stepped down, part of his statement said yesterday, while I understand the Big Ten Conference's decision to postpone the football season because of health and safety considerations, the communication of information from the Big Ten following the decision has been disappointing and often unclear. However, we still have an opportunity to give our young men what they've worked so hard for, a chance to safely compete for a national championship this fall. The Big Ten Medical Subcommittee has done an excellent job creating a safe pathway towards returning to play in mid-October. So he, he's he's putting the gauntlet down there that we aren't hearing enough, and I believe these coaches uh, from reports were on a call with Kevin Warren, the Big Ten commissioner, yesterday. And so you have t- the two really biggest-name coaches, along with Jim Harbaugh, in the conference – stepping out and saying they're not hearing enough from their league and their commissioner. And then you had Jim Harbaugh just, what, a few days ago, uh, taking part in a march with his players to let them play. And it was like one of those let us play marches in Ann Arbor. So you have a lot of pressure on this league. You have three of the most well-known coaches and probably the most powerful coaches in your league. You have Republican legislators putting the pressure on you. have the president of the United States uh, putting the political pressure on this. Hey, politics and sports, it's happening. I mean, it's it's always happened. So people saying it's uh, keep politics out of sports. I mean, it's always going to be there because sports is in the real world. Uh, but this isn't easy, right? If, if you're a politician, I can't blame these people. This uh, For people saying, this is a political decision for these uh, school presidents and all that. I, well, while politics are always in a play with everything, this isn't a popular political decision to, to shut down football for a, a couple of weeks. It's an easy political decision to get, get behind people who want to play because most people want football this fall if it can be done safely. Um, we've seen Iowa and Nebraska obviously put pressure on and, and be outward and, and outspoken about wanting to play this fall as well. Listen, I don't love what Ryan Day did here. Uh, you know, James Franklin, I think it was a little bit more nuanced about it. He was asked about it during an interview, and I think it's fine. Uh, I think it's really fine to sit there and go, you know, hey, we need to hear a little bit more. We've even heard Lovey Smith, and the few times we've heard from him, say that he doesn't have a lot of information to pass on to his players because he hasn't received a lot of information. So this isn't just Ryan Day and James Franklin saying this, but Ryan Day, Ohio State is the premier program in the Big Ten, right, Um, for all sports, but especially for the the most important sport in football. But to be a – you have to be a good member in the Big Ten as well, and you kind of got to be all on board. And Ryan Day, with the support, obviously, of his athletic director – um, and probably maybe the president, even though the president uh, of Ohio State and uh, has a decision-making job here, he is basically saying, I, I don't agree. I'm not on board with my league. And while I know a lot of people are speculating, well, Ohio State leave the Big Ten, they've been here since 1912, right? Are, are they going to leave Michigan? Are, are they going to leave ju- just for this year and in a pandemic they're going to leave for that? I, I don't think so. So I, I think Ryan Day deserves some criticism for doing this. Um, and, and not being on board and not taking care of everything in-house. But he's obviously putting pressure. And, and why would he put out this statement? Ohio State wants to play for the college football playoff. I, I don't think you're seeing Illinois do this because the college football playoff, to most teams in the Big Ten, it's not even a factor. So if you're only going to play conference games anyway and you have some bowl games with a Pac-12 team if, if you get to bowl games, not much is different than starting in, in late November. 
okay? But Ohio State, maybe Penn State, maybe Michigan, maybe Wisconsin, those are schools that are saying, hey, we want to get in as quickly as possible so we can be in the college football playoff uh, if, if they can pull that off this year. And Ryan Day is also fighting for his guys. He's also putting out a message of recruiting that, hey, it matters here too, just like the SEC, just like the schools we're going up against for the top program. So you got to know what the motives are in all of this. But I, I really think it's another bad look for Kevin Warren. And Kevin Warren is not the one who votes for these things, though he obviously has influence. Um, Commissioner always has influence over these things. But one of his jobs, one of the big parts of his jobs is obviously making decisions, but also he's the public face of the Big Ten. And the Big Ten has a PR problem right now. Because you just compare it to the Pac-12, and Larry Scott was not a very popular commissioner coming into all this. The Pac-12 is not in great uh, condition compared to, say, the Big Ten, but we thought the Big Ten, uh, the SEC, and some of these other programs. It's more on board with kind of the, the Big 12, which has had, you know, been rickety this last decade or so. But you haven't seen the day-to-day drama, the day-to-day division in the Pac-12 that made the same decision as you've seen in the Big Ten. Now, some people will say that's because the Big Ten obviously is different culturally. Football maybe means a little bit more, and it's different politically. Um, you know, there are differences politically in the Pac-12 states, but obviously on the West Coast, there's more of a united kind of feeling about politics. It's more blue, right? Well, the Midwest is messy, which is what makes it great, in my opinion. It's a little messier. It's a little more purple. You get mixes of that, right? Um, so I, I find that interesting, and that that could be a factor there. But I also think it's just about hey, I don't, I don't envy Kevin Warren being thrown into this in the first year on his job, but he's certainly performing like it's his first year on the job, right? He doesn't seem to have the relationships. He doesn't seem to have the communication set up. And and to be honest with you, I don't, I don't know how many schools, athletic directors, how many times he's met with those people, or presidents and chancellors, how many times has he met, how many times has he been able to meet with those people. But it certainly feels like the communication has not been there. The rollout obviously was a disaster to cancel the season just a couple days after uh, you announce a new schedule, right? And I, I think Kevin Warren's wanted to lead the charge in all of this, and basketball certainly looked like a good decision for the Big Ten to cancel the Big Ten tournament, uh, and everybody else kind of follows after that. I think he probably thought in football more than the Pac-12 would follow him and didn't seem to get consensus with that with the other leagues, wasn't able to build that kind of consensus. And then within his own league, he hasn't been able to build consensus. Josh Whitman told us last month that when he has disagreements, he wants to keep it in-house because I think he thinks it's important to be together, whether it's the University of Illinois, the University of Illinois Athletic Department, or the Big Ten. Obviously, some other coaches athletic directors, even some presidents haven't felt the same thing. And Kevin Warren's job is to make sure that all stays in-house, that disagreement stays in-house, because this is not a good look for the Big Ten. When you have Ryan Day and others pushing for an October start, and then you have the Rutgers AD, or not the AD, the president, new president, coming out and saying, yeah, we, we won't play. Right? That, that's, that's a bad look. You just do not have continuity there. And you know, it's one reason some people wanted Jim Phillips, Northwestern AD, uh, to, to possibly be the, the heir apparent to Jim Delaney because he had those relationships. You know, um, He's maybe able to build that consensus. He's got those relationships with other ADs, presidents, chancellors, that maybe he could do this. So I, I don't envy Kevin Warren. And this isn't about the decision the Big Ten made to postpone the season because – whether you agree with it or not, I mean, that's a tough decision, and I think he made the decision, some will say in haste, but I think he made the decision for what he believes to be the right reasons. But you can't. it's not just make decision and just go, okay, that's what it is. You have to build consensus within your ranks, and right now they have loose ranks. He needs to get his house in order, and I just don't think he's got the relationships to do that. And obviously... He hasn't been great with communication. We, we could date this back to Alan Griffin getting suspended. I know another basketball player got suspended, and they didn't hear from the Big Ten about that. Like I think that deserves, when, when you make that kind of decision, I think Josh Whitman at least deserves a call on that, right? And Or Brad Underwood, or both. 
You can get them both on the same call and say, this is why we made the decision. Do you disagree with it? Let's hash it out. And maybe I can change my mind, but I'm going to at least tell you my decision face-to-face before I put it out there. He didn't do that. And I think that was a misstep. And then you've kind of seen these things along the way um, where it's just that's part of leadership is getting everybody under you to understand your decision, even if they don't agree with it, but to get them on board. And Kevin Warren hasn't been able to do that. Now, maybe the university presidents and chancellors aren't helping him there because they're the ultimate decision makers. But I think you can see other commissioners in other leagues or other professional leagues, whether it's Adam Silver or Roger Goodell. And, you know, Goodell, I think, has actually been better at this here recently. Um, that he's better able to get everybody in-house on board w- with the decision. And Kevin Warren certainly struggled with that. So it's just as the world turns, we'll see if they have a new vote here. We'll see who would decide to play, who would not. The, the word is that you could have a new vote. Um, uh, Monday or, or maybe this weekend, it'd be very interesting to see how many people's votes changed. Um, the, the rumors out there, of course, is that Illinois, Northwestern, Maryland, the Michigan schools would not. Michigan Wolverines could be a big swing vote there. But do you have enough on board for 60%? Because that's what it would take uh, for uh, to change the, the course of this. And the biggest thing is, do you have enough information, new medical information, to, to change that vote? Um, I, I think Illinois could pull off a season right now, but you've seen other Big Ten schools. Wisconsin's going through a spike. Nebraska's had a high positivity rate. You're seeing Ohio State go up as well. You know, obviously, Illinois had more cases, but the positivity rate has kind of stayed the same. Wisconsin shut down football here recently. Um, you've had programs that, that have struggled with, with cases as students have come back. Do you have enough difference medically, advancements medically with with testing, obviously, is getting better. Nebraska just signed up for rapid testing. Illinois had it for a month or so. Um, do you have that across the league? Do you have your questions about heart issues, myocarditis answered? I don't. I don't know if they do. I don't know if any. If enough's changed there, um, do they have enough information about contact tracing? I don't know. We'll see. Jay Lehman told us yesterday that he thinks they could ramp up in three weeks and play. Um, Ryan Day seems to think the same thing since they've already been working out. So maybe you could get a, a mid to late October start here. I, I still think the late November makes the most sense, but obviously schools like Ohio State, uh, late November just because students are off campus, there's less chance for community spread there. You worry about the flu, of course, I, doctors have said, but um, you have more of a bubble setting. But so if it's about health and safety, I think that one makes the most sense. If you're, if you're talking about limiting mitigation, I think that one makes the most sense. But if you're talking about playing for a college football playoff, which is what Ohio State wants, um, they want to get it done as, as quickly as possible. So it's going to be fascinating to see what happens over the next couple of weeks. But the, the last month has not been good uh, for the Big Ten. Publicly, it's, it's taken a beating, uh, while the Pac-12 is not. And you've had a kind of a schism here. You had a house divided in the Big Ten, which has not been the case and wasn't the case under Jim Delaney uh, for most of those years. Probably since that Penn State getting added uh, was the last time there seemed to be that kind of fissure. Otherwise, it was arguing over legends and leaders and stuff like that, which is which is pretty harmless. But it's a tough position to be in. Uh, but this is what Kevin Warren signed up for. And I don't think he's come out looking very good. Uh, and I uh, don't think he's done the job that well of managing and getting everybody on board. All right, when we come back, I want to talk about locally the business impact, the financial impact of not having Illinois football games. Supposed to play against Ohio State last week. Supposed to have five Big Ten home games. Of course, supposed to have like seven home games this year uh, before the shutdown and everything. I caught up with Jane DeLuce, um, who Pat Forty interviewed for a fantastic piece. And I was a little jealous of Pat Forty actually interviewing, uh, doing this story because one, it was a great idea to come to a college campus, the the first Power Five uh, team there. And I was in Florida, of course, but it was a great job by Pat. He caught up with Josh Whitman, he caught up with Jane Deleuze about the the local financial impact, caught up with former Atlanta kicker Jason Rita, who's uh, manager at Cams now, which obviously is a great look at uh, local business, which is impacted by this. But I actually had. had talked to Jane about a couple of weeks ago about doing something like this. So I'm not doing it just because Pat did it. Um, but uh, she was on vacation. Then I was down in Florida. So we're finally able to catch up and talk about just the local impact of not having Illinois football games, what that means for local industries and 
what they're what she can do to try and help those local businesses and what this means for IHSA because the IHSA obviously is, is postponed fall sports and Illinois was supposed to host high school football championships. This was their year on the uh, the cycle here between DeKalb and Illinois. And then, of course, this is supposed to be the first year that they host the IHSA boys basketball tournament. First of that uh, three-year contract that they just signed here recently. And, of course, wrestling is part of this as well. So talk to Jane about that. That's coming up next on the Illini Inquirer podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome back into the Illini Enquirer podcast and catching up with Jane DeLuce, CEO of Visit Champaign County. And uh, Jane, the last time I caught up with you, we had really good news uh, with the IHSA Boys Basketball Tournament coming back to town. Uh, but uh, we were supposed to be hosting a football game this weekend. And of course, with the pandemic and everything, that is not happening. So um, I, I hate to be catching up on, on bad news, but uh, I'm interested to get your insight, Jane, into everything and how this impacts the community. But what was it like for you to have this weekend with, with no football game? Well, I tell you, it is, personally, it's very tough because I love football. And so we were ready to be the fans, one of the 20 or 25% of the stadium fans that would be there and excited to see. And I thought that athletics had worked very, very hard with the public health department to make it very safe for everybody. And so I was looking forward to that experience. And then, of course, I was looking for the community, forward to the community, seeing a bright spot. I mean, when the Big Ten schedule was announced, everybody had just like a little pep in their step. I mean, people were like, yes, Big Ten football, we will take it. And that was so short-lived that it was, I think, we felt like we were cut off at the knees once again. And our hotels, our restaurants. Our caterers are, you know, I laugh about the porta potties, but hey, that's a big contrast for athletics. And to see all of that not happen is another kind of punch to the gut for our business community. Jane, what were the, what was the organization like behind the scenes of getting ready for this season, knowing that it was tenuous? And then when the Big Ten announced its new 10 game schedule, what were you guys doing with those few days uh, before it got shut down? We were working with the campus, particularly the chancellor's office, to see if there were going to be special event weekends. So, you know, first you moved to a Thursday night game for the kickoff with Ohio State and what that was going to look like. Was there going to be a homecoming? Was there going to be a dad's weekend? How would those look? Was there, you know, I laughed to say, was there conflicts with other events? Because all the other events have been postponed as well. So there was a lot of, of rearranging with our hotels, taking a lot of calls from people who had made their plan or had didn't know had made their original plans with the original football schedule to then only be a Big Ten schedule. So there was a lot of moving behind the scenes to figure out what the days were going to be, what it was going to look like, and then how that would impact our business community. So Jane. It- I, I hate to, to put a number on this, but everybody talks about economic impact. Um, what is the impact of, of not being able to host, say, five home games, even with 25% fans? What kind of impact does that have, not just on, uh, obviously, Illinois athletics, but the Champaign community? Well, if you we did a, a study, an economic impact study, through, an, uh, uh, not a study, but a calculator that we used to determine the impact. And if you took a regular season game with an average attendance of 42,000 attendees, 
because that's what it was when we did this a couple years ago, it was close to $3 million hmm. in economic impact for the community. So if you take 25% of that, you're still talking whatever, I'm not doing my math right here, you're still talking a significant amount of impact. What is what is that, 500000 ish for each weekend that there is a game because you have not only the impact of the hotels and the restaurants, you have the gas stations, you have the retail, and especially if they're doing well, retail is up because people want to line on merchandise. So you have so it's such a domino effect for one game, number of people coming, projecting a winning game, winning season type of thing, that that impact is in the millions of dollars that is lost for our community. So as you somebody, Jane, that's uh, trying to help local businesses, how do, what do you do to try and counteract this um, during a pandemic when obviously there aren't many as, as many people traveling? How, how do you try to help local businesses not replace this, but just deal with it? What, what we have done with our local businesses is twofold. One, to encourage our residents to support our local businesses even more than usual. If you're not comfortable going inside or even eating outside at a restaurant, buy a gift card, uh, do carry out, do something with our restaurants. If you're looking at retail, if it is in your means, because a lot of people are also having a tough time as well, but if you can have our residents support our local businesses because that is our largest customer. Secondly, we are focusing on a driving, being a driving destination for leisure. So we still have the outdoor forest preserves, the parks, we have the apple orchards, we have Prairie Fruits Farm and Creamer, we have the market, Urbana's Market at the Square and Champagne's Market. Getting people to go to places and support and be a part of that on a regional basis, people are willing, they don't necessarily want to, to fly or to take a train, but they'll drive just to have a different atmosphere. Mm-hmm. We're even encouraging people in our materials to say, hey, if you want to work remotely, come work remotely from here and then take advantage of the amenities that are in the community. It doesn't nearly make up for an impact of large-scale events, but it is something, and it's something to make our businesses survive so at the end of this, we still have the flavor of our community by the businesses that are here. Jane, I kind of want to go through some of these industries. Um, The hotel industry, obviously these are weekend events. Um, How how much of the business during the fall or even during the year is made up of athletic events? It's a... a it's a strong part of it. Um, I would say you take a dad's weekend and it's a sellout. It's a community-wide sellout. Mm-hmm. You take homecoming and it's fairly close to a community-wide sellout. All of it honestly depends on the success of the football team. For dad's weekend, people, U of I students, their fathers will come anyway. So it, it, <laughs> it, you hope you have a good football season, but it doesn't matter. For homecoming, it's a little bit more focused on that. For the other games, it's, it, it does help if we have a winning football season. So I think people were very excited about this season and what it was going to bring. So those are huge impacts for, for the weekends in the fall. But during the week, what has been our, our biggest bread and butter that is not marketed very much because it's not as exciting as events are meetings and conferences. So you take a, a hotel like the Hilton Garden Inn, or you take a special event place like Pear Tree Estate, they depend on those large group gatherings that have been shut down. I mean, you can have a small gathering, but you would have to have multiple small gatherings to even come close to one large reception, conference, special event, fundraiser, whatever that event is, that is truly the bread and butter of our weekday traffic and our visitor spending and even resident spending in this area. How about when it comes to to bars and restaurants? As you know, uh, everybody likes to go out to uh, eat and, and drink before the games, after the games. Um, how much of an impact is that on the, that industry in the area? Oh, same. Huge, huge impact on that. I mean, it's when if you look at uh, the pro season being being in place or you look at people who might have a Thursday night adult softball league. That's the people who are going to go out and celebrate with their team to a local sports bar or to go watch a big game. And so now you have limited pro sports. You have 
limited college sports. You, you have people a little fearful of going to those places and you have limited capacity. So you can't even have a large gathering of the area adult softball team that is out celebrating their big league win. So it's, it's, it's across all facets of that. And I think one of the things that we think about is not only the money that the people are making, but the loss of jobs. That has been truly the amount it is in the thousands of people mm-hmm. who have been laid off either on a temporary or permanent basis that are employed in our hospitality industry. And you mentioned a few other businesses, Jane, that we might not think of uh, when it comes to athletics and their impact. What are some of those businesses that maybe most people don't think when it's hotels or, or service industry? What are some of those other things? I think you have to look at if you have a, a sporting event, the things that go into that are the caters for all the receptions that might happen. You have the florist who provide the flowers uh, for the event that is also going to happen. You have the um, uh, the uh, port johns. I mentioned those that are going to happen. You have the retail. There's there's the the domino effect of so many types of businesses that people don't think of. Because first and foremost, people think of the hotels. Secondly, they think of restaurants. But you think of even the gas stations, the people that would fill up gas because they're getting ready to get back on the road to go to their destination or just even around town. You have less people that are purchasing gas. So it's, it's, it's a combination that there's an industry that hasn't been you look at the, the, the food for a place where people for tailgating and people that go get their chips and their, and their you know, beer and everything else. All of those types of industry um, suppliers are, have truly, truly been impacted and, it, and have either closed their doors on a semi-permanent basis or may not make it on a permanent basis. So, Jane, when people reach out to you for, for advice, I mean, what can you say? I mean, we've never dealt with anything like a pandemic like this. You know, I, I think the biggest thing is for people to take a look around at your neighbors and see where they may be struggling involved in this industry and to support their efforts. Um, as I had mentioned before, if you can support their business, it might be a home-based business. It may be a brick-and-mortar. If you can show a little bit more kindness and compassion to people, if you have an opportunity in your own business to be able to take on some additional employees, maybe even on a contractual basis, I think the, the, the more that people can support each other in this community, and even just be there to listen is going to help all of us be a stronger community uh, when we get through this at the end. Well, Jane, um, have, have you been in contact with the IHSA about uh, what the boys' basketball tournament could look like? I know that's so far away, and we don't know what heck five, six months could look like from now, but any preliminary conversations of, of what that could be like? Because obviously we didn't think we'd be in the middle of the pandemic when you guys won that bid. <laughs> That has been the, the ongoing question. We were, I'm in constant contact with IHSA as they navigate their course of first getting the fall sports. I mean, it's not just boys basketball, it's also wrestling, and then it's also football. This is our year to host IHSA State football. Yeah. So the big, the big three are all very much in question for this school year, and there has not been a final decision made. I do think if you look at the logistics and the, the challenges that may go with it, I think it will be a very interesting year to try to host boys basketball for the first time, but even to host our annual wrestling and semi-annual football. So we're, we're, there's no decision that has been made at this point. I think they are focused, well, I know they are focused on just getting some of the initial fall sports off the ground, you know, with the cross country and, mm-hmm. and tennis and golf. Um, and then taking it, the next step will be for those events. And, and you have to look and say, is it the right way? When we host it, we want to host it the right way. We are going to put on a huge splash for boys basketball and bringing it back and we want to celebrate that. And so what it looks like in 
2021 um, will definitely not be probably what it looks like, and it won't be what it looks like in 2022, um, but we still don't know what's going to happen yet in the school year. Jane, I'll tell you this uh, on the bright side, when sports do come back and Illinois athletics and these IHSA athletics come back, I know you guys will do it up big as local businesses. I know all of us will just appreciate it a little bit more, right? I mean, I think we're all going to have such a great time when we get back. We We definitely will not take for granted the opportunities that we have to participate or spectate sports. And, oh, my gosh, the fact that I'm... I, I'm well. I'm a big tennis fan, so right now I'm just glued to the U.S. Open because it's actual, you know, real right. and live in time, <laughs> watching some kind of sport. So, yes, I I think all of us will appreciate our our love of sport in some way or another um, more than we ever have in our lives. Well, Jane Deleuze, anything else you want to add? Let people know about. I I think just just be patient and look for the silver lining. Uh, during a time that is is super challenging, recognizing that the the pandemic has impacted every single person, so it's, it's we're not alone in that. But try to look for the bright spots because there are some of those, and uh, for people to just just keep looking for those until we can get through it together. Well said, Jane Deleuze, Visit Champaign County CEO. Jane, always appreciate the insight. Thanks, Jeremy. Good to chat with you. You too. All right. Great insight from Jane Deleuze. Obviously, this has had a real, real world impact, even outside of sports and hotels, bars, but even all, all those other uh, industries that she was chatting about. Um, you, you just feel for those people. You really feel for those people. And Josh Whitman has talked often, especially with this hockey project, about you know the the footprint Illinois has and the impact it has on this community not just the university, but the athletics department and, and how much business it, it can drive. Uh, and we're certainly finding it out this year. And I did want to end with Jane just about when it comes back, because sports will come back. A lot of athletics will come back. And I do think we will truly appreciate it a lot more. Um, and, and I think we're all realizing what a hole and what a void it is in our life, but also a void in the Champaign-Urbana community and, and uh, the economic uh, community as well. Great stuff from Jane. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you don't already, subscribe to us, rate us, review us, wherever you get your podcast. We appreciate when you do that. I also wanted to end this show, uh, this podcast, with just some memories. Because 19 years ago today was my first day of high school. We actually started a little bit late because here, uh, when I went to Piazzone High School, my freshman year, we built a new high school, but we were kind of delayed in the project. It was kind of a cluster, and we weren't able to get into the school safely until September 11th, 2001. And I remember driving to school. My brother was a couple of years older than me. He had his license, and we were listening to Man Cow in the Morning. And if people know of Man Cow in Chicago, it's kind of the shock jack of the day, kind of you know the local ripoff of what Howard Stern was doing at the time. And all of a sudden, we just heard him say, a plane has flown into the World Trade Center. And I remember him describing it like a cartoon. And this was the first tower that got hit. And I remember him describing it like it's like a cartoon. We can't tell if it's a small plane or a large passenger jet or a cargo jet, whatever. But he said, I I can't believe what I'm saying. It just looks like, you know, a cartoon where a plane flew through something and there's just a cutout of a plane through this building. And... Then I just remember, and I remember they said they were planning on some prank that day. And he kept reminding his listeners, he goes, I know I was doing some prank today, but this is not. This is real. Get to a TV and and see this because we are not joking. And then I remember the horror in his voice and the people around him. I think Brian Peruk was one of them with him. And they were just screaming when they saw another plane hit. And I remember him saying, this is an attack. And then I had to go into school. So I heard this on the radio. Our school is new, so we don't have TVs hooked up. And I'm asking around to everybody, hey, have you heard heard the World Trade Center got hit with planes? And, and most of my friends, no, I didn't hear that. And we get to homeroom, I think it was second hour. I think it was about 10 o'clock central time. They finally turned on the intercom. And they basically put a radio up next to the intercom. And just played the radio for most of the hour. And I still remember 
I forget which network it was, but it was one of the major CBS or ABC radio. I think it was CBS radio. And they said, the World Trade Center is no longer there. So at that point, I didn't know it collapsed. I didn't, but hearing him say that, I said, oh my gosh. And I was supposed to have my first freshman high school football game that day. And I called my mom up to let her know the game, of course, had been canceled. And I remember these words because you got to realize I grew up, born in 87, grew up in the 90s. It was a very pretty peaceful time in the world, right? Pretty good time in the world. So I'd never kind of experienced this, right? The Cold War was ending as I was a very young, too, too young to remember it. Um, you know, we weren't at any wars. The Gulf War, I was very, very young, and that, that was more conflict, I would, I would say. And I remember my mother telling me on the radio, Jer, we are at war. And for a 14-year-old boy, um, that was, I, I still remember it to this day. The world got bigger and scarier on that day, I think for my generation. Because that was the first thing where it was like, hey, you know, we're just doing our thing. We're on top of the world. And then all of a sudden this happens and it's like, whoa. You know, especially me coming of age at 14, realizing the bigger world around us, right? And, and kind of getting into these world issues. And of course, it shaped our generation. I mean, the way we go about doing our everyday lives, the way you went into sporting events, the way you went to the airport, right? It, it all changed. And of course, the politics of the world changed. It was, we go to wars that we were on for, for a long time, and um, it just changed everything for our world. But 19 years later, as we are in this year, 2020, and, you know, for me, 2000, we were divided over that election and we've been divided over wars and we've been divided more and more as we've gone along here. But it really feels like we're more divided than ever. And 19 years ago on this day, which was such a tragic day, we did come together as a country, right? And, and I'm almost reminded that almost nostalgically that we came together that day because we had an outward threat, right? From people who didn't like us. Well, now we have an outward threat, only it's an invisible threat and we're not able to come together over it. But we are capable of it. And that's what I'm, is trying to give me hope today. It, it brings me down a little bit about how, how divided we are, but we also came together at that point. And um, it just showed we're capable of that. Now, it didn't last forever, and coming together now wouldn't last forever, but we were able to come together in crisis and do some great, do some good things. Um, I, I always say the worst of times bring out the best in people, and I do think we're seeing that now. Our frontline health workers, I mean, you're seeing that. And people who are doing their part to, to try and mitigate the spread of this and help others, I think it's great. I think it's great to see. But one song has always stuck with me, and it was, it was a pop-punk band back in the day, um, 2000s, man. Late 90s, early 2000s, you kids missed out nowadays. Go back and listen to the pop-punk. Love it. Some riffage along with some great melodies, catchy melodies. Um, but Yellow Card was a band back in the day, and they wrote a great song uh, called Believe. And it's about that day. And I just want to leave you with this. I, I did this every year on the radio show, and I, I want to leave this podcast um, with Yellow Card Believe. It's just a song that I always associate with that day, um, associate with heroism, associate with hope. And I just want to leave you with that today. Thank you for listening to the Line Enquirer podcast. We'll talk to you next time.
Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.